Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So for this episode, I cannot think of any puns. Uh, the only puns I can think of are just so dad jokes that I'm not going to make them. Um, so I'll just say we're going to talk about generative adversarial networks, which sounds a little scary, but when we dive in, you'll find it maybe is quite interesting. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So I, I think you're the one who should probably start us off because I actually don't know very much about this. Sure, yeah. Generative adversarial networks. First of all, we should acknowledge that uh, this was a listener suggestion from a listener who's actually a friend of mine, Tim Head. Thank you so much. This was a this was a fun one. Tim is also a friend of the show. He's been one of our earliest listeners, I think, and always has very good feedback. So it's a pleasure to actually uh, pick up one of his suggestions and see what we can do with it. We should, like, make t-shirts and give one to him. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. I don't know what I'd put on the t-shirt, but... Um, t-shirts cost money, too, so... Yeah. Anywho, uh, <laughs> gen- generative adversarial networks. Right. Um, so this actually harkens... We're going to harken back to a couple of things that we've talked about uh, before and some new stuff. Um, maybe a useful way to start with this is to unpack the name of the algorithm though. Mm -hmm. So generative adversarial networks. So the first part of that generative is a type of algorithm that we haven't really talked about so much before, uh, generative algorithms. It sounds like, it sounds like a network that would be generating things. Is that right? That is right. So usually machine learning algorithms, you can split into one of two buckets broadly defined there's generative algorithms and discriminative algorithms. Mm. And discriminative algorithms are just trying to tell the difference between something and something else. And generative algorithms, you can potentially be actually making examples of the thing that you're trying to study. Another way of, of trying to articulate this is that a discriminative algorithm is going to look at a set of information, uh, like the pixels in an image, let's say, And from that information, it's going to try to calculate the probability that this image is an image of a panda or a coffee cup or a cat. And so it's what we would say is it's the probability of X given Y, where Y is the data that you're putting into the algorithm and X is the label that you're trying to get out. Right. So it's it's not it's not generating anything other than. Uh, a classifier basically saying yes this is a panda or no this is not a panda yeah and it's not right it's not trying to say anything that's deeper than that really like Mm -hmm. what is a panda but a generative algorithm does start to go in that direction that's a deep question yeah yeah. what is a panda (laughs) right right what is the probability that i get this set of pixels in this picture at the same time that it is a panda and Mm. it's uh, it starts to get into issues of like, can you actually model the underlying dynamics of the thing that you're trying to study? So this is something that we would use a lot in physics, where we're trying to actually generate examples for ourselves of particle collisions so that we can study them and and help ourselves understand the, the real collisions that we're seeing in the detector. And underlying these generative algorithms, we have basically the laws of physics that are helping us run those simulations. Oh. And so when you have the laws of physics, it, it sort of works. Um, but if you're trying to do something that is harder to quantify or more complex or less well understood, then generative algorithms can be really, really difficult to work with because they, right. they do need to sort of have a working 
internal model of like what is the thing that you're studying. Yeah, there is no laws of pandaness, right? Like what what are the laws that govern what a panda is at it, at its core? Whereas like what is physics? Not necessarily an easy question, but definitely one that's been uh, quite a bit more studied. And um, we actually have equations that we can apply to the real world that uh, with a high degree of certainty simulate what the real world will do. And so then when we're doing machine learning, usually usually what we're trying to do is actually discrimination. We're trying to solve a fairly straightforward problem of like, what is this thing that I'm looking at? And in that context, discriminative algorithms usually do much better than generative ones. And so that's why so much of our emphasis so far has been on discriminative algorithms, is that's just where a lot of the attention in the field has been. However, uh, in this example, we're also opening ourselves up to the generative side of things. Uh, so let's talk about what you might want to do with a generative algorithm. And this gets into the second part of the name, the adversarial uh, term, mm. generative yeah. al- adversarial networks. So this brings back to mind a previous episode that we actually did. I think it was released just a few months ago uh, called Hacking Neural Nets. Do you remember that one? I do. So in that one, what was going on was there had been some studies into neural nets and what the researchers had found is let's say you have a neural net that's trying to do image classification. And so you feed it a picture of, let's say a cat, and usually it will say that it's a cat and maybe occasionally it will make mistakes and say that it's a dog or a panda or whatever else. But sometimes you can also, if you find just the right kind of noise looking picture, you can feed in this picture that looks like just random pixels set to like whatever value, but the neural net will say with very high confidence, this is the cat. Right, and that that's because fundamentally the neural net is not doing image processing the way a human would do. And so to a human, this is clearly not a cat, this just looks like random static, but because of whatever the way the neural net, however it actually works under the hood, that static just pushes its buttons in just the right way that it decides, yes, this is a picture of a cat or a panda or whatever, when in fact it's not. And in the year or two since, you know, sort of this property of neural nets has been discovered, there's been some work in trying to understand what is actually going on underneath the hood with the neural net. Like, what are the properties of a neural net that make it susceptible to what we call adversarial examples? These things that you've kind of tuned specially so that it's it's not the image that the neural net will classify it as, but the neural net still very reliably classifies it that way. Like, what, what characterizes that situation? What combination of image plus algorithm do you need to have something that's going to be susceptible to adversarial examples? And and briefly, uh, when we say adversarial, we're not necessarily talking about some external party that's trying to fool the neural net. This might just be researchers who are working on the neural network, uh, network and trying to make it better at doing what it does. Or even researchers who put together another algorithm that tests uh, their discriminative network. Yeah, there's no there's no malice involved here. It's mostly right. just studies right now. Um, yeah. Although you could imagine that in the future there there could be. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean the more we rely on n- neural networks for uh, important things, the more susceptible we will be to those neural networks being, um, I guess, compromised. Yeah, that there's more incentive to be able to to hack the neural nets as the neural right. nets become more important. Yeah, for sure. 
And so in, in the last uh, couple of years, there's been a lot of research that's been going on at University of Montreal and at Google, uh, most of it by a researcher named Ian Goodfellow, where he's been studying this exact issue, like, am I able to reliably create adversarial examples? What are the things that characterize the neural nets that are susceptible to them? And to make a, a long story short, it seems like the thing that makes a neural net susceptible to these things is that the neural net, the internal structure of the neural net is full of linear uh, activation functions or linear neurons. And that means that uh, there's they're really um, easily trained using backpropagation algorithms. Basically, that with a, an, a change in the input of a certain size and direction, that the change in the output is reasonably easy to compute. Uh, that's kind of one of the things that happens when you have a linear network, whereas a nonlinear network, potentially small changes in the input can lead to really radical changes in the output. That's right. Yeah. So he, he finds that this is, this is going through this far too quickly to fully give it justice, but basically he's found out that there are certain types of, of nets Neural nets, um, in particular ones that are easy to train, are the ones that are the most susceptible to the adversarial network. Oh, interesting. Right. And so here's the thing where he sort of ties ties everything together, and it's, it's really pretty cool. As he says, okay, our susceptibility to these adversarial examples is kind of goes hand in hand with how easy the, the network is to, to train because it's these linear networks. And does that tell us anything about how easy it could potentially be to generate them, right? Because you could have a generative algorithm that is potentially easy to train because it's using the same sort of structure. And can you make this generative algorithm that creates adversarial examples, sends them over to the discriminative network, and then the discriminative network tries to tell whether an example is adversarial and, and constructed by a neural net, or if it's a real legitimate picture of a cat, um, discriminative network tries to tell the difference between those two cases and then sends its decisions back to the generative network, which then uses uh, sort of the decisions of the, the discriminative network to itself make progressively better generated uh, adversarial examples. That's really cool. Okay, so so basically you've got this this network that's generating let's say cat pictures and you've got let's say counterfeiting uh, money i think that's a better example oh sure okay so you're basically saying you've got these two players you've got uh two networks one of them is generating uh examples and one of them is uh looking at those examples and deciding whether they're real or not and so like i, I guess you can imagine it almost like you've got a money counterfeiter let's say that's trying to generate counterfeit money and then you've got a bank which is trying to identify whether money is counterfeit. And so the bank gets the output of the counterfeiter because the counterfeiter gives all of the counterfeit money to the bank. And then the counterfeiter also knows whether or not they've been successful by whether the bank accepts the money. And so you've got this cycle, which means that the bank can improve as can the counterfeiter. Or the um, in in this case we could say the discriminative algorithm can improve uh, at recognizing cat pictures, and the generative algorithm can improve at generating pictures of cats. Yeah. So in this analogy, it would be like the counterfeiters might start out with just a photocopier, right? And then they photocopy some money, they send it over to a bank to try to deposit it. They haven't done a particularly good job, and so there's uh, the the bank does a 
um, you know, a reasonably good job of figuring out which ones are the counterfeit bills and which ones aren't. But a few, a few counterfeit bills might get through just because of dumb luck or something. And so then, yeah, the counterfeiters get this information back that, okay, some of these examples worked, a lot of them didn't, let's try to improve our generation process in a way that seems to address maybe the, the, um, the information that we get back about what, um, what makes it through and what doesn't. So now instead of having photocopiers, let's say they're doing color photocopies and they've, they've made an investment in like slightly nicer paper. Um, and so then they send over their better counterfeit bills to the bank and the bank now has a slightly harder task, but they also have some experience in like knowing what counterfeit bills look like. And so they're again, going to take some of the bills. They're going to send a bunch of them back Um, they're getting smarter at determining what the counterfeit looks like. The counterfeiters are also getting better at figuring out how to make them. And so, yeah, as you kind of pass things back and forth between the discriminative network and the generative network, both of them are getting better. And at the end of it, what you get out is like a really good counterfeiting machine and also a bank that's really good at detecting counterfeits, right? Like both of them that get better. Now, the bank and the counterfeiter um, are kind of a metaphor for what's going on, right? Um, These networks can be doing all kinds of things like generating pictures of cats or generating other kinds of data. Uh, And there's actually an evolution going on, uh, which is perhaps even deeper than the counterfeiter and the banker example uh, would would imply. But here's the thing that, that kind of confuses me. At the beginning of this process, neither the generative nor the discriminative algorithms are perfect. Let's just go with pictures of cats for this example, and we'll say that the generative algorithm is generating pictures of cats, but it's also generating pictures of, I don't know, we'll just say it generates some pictures that look like static to a human, but the discriminative algorithm thinks they look like cats, okay? Mm -hmm. So now we've got some pictures that look like cats that are getting through, that the discriminative algorithm is saying, yeah, that's a cat, thumbs up. But we've also got pictures that look like static. And those are getting through and the discriminative algorithm is saying, yeah, that looks like a cat. That goes back around to the generative algorithm. So it makes sense that the pictures that look like cats, uh, look more like cats, the generative algorithm will uh, evolve from those pictures and improve upon those pictures uh, and iterate from there. But wouldn't the same thing happen with the static pictures that the discriminative algorithm thinks are cats? And I guess the the question that's behind all of this is why would why would they both get better at identifying the real cats like more get better at, faster at identifying the real cats than identifying cats in the static images? Right, so you're kind of saying why at the end of this process why is the generative algorithm giving me pictures that look like cats like literally look like cats to me as a human as opposed to just really finely tuned pictures of static that for some reason the right the uh the discriminative algorithm is is susceptible to them and, and classifies them as cats yeah that's that's a good question and i think basically what's going on is that the random static noise that gets classified as cats that's a very finely tuned and in some ways a brittle solution. So if you were to take one of those images and just randomly flip, let's say 1% or 5% of the pixels, you just you know reassign them to a random value or you take the mm-hmm. opposite of what value they have right now, um, then it's not going to work. 
Um, so you really huh. found like just the pins in this lock that need to be pushed so that you can open it. Whereas for the generative algorithm that's like really on its game and generating pictures of cats, um, it's much more robust. So you can, if I were to walk up to each of these two algorithms, one of which makes pictures that look like cats and one of which makes noise that can sometimes be misclassified as cats. For the noise picture, I would say like, okay, sweet, give me another noise picture that looks like a cat. And it would have to work really hard and kind of handcraft an example. Whereas the generative algorithm that's just able to make pictures that look like cats, it's like, okay, no problem. And it spits out another one. So it, it's kind of figured out what a cat is in a way that, like we said, is more robust and that um, actually makes things that in that case look like cats instead of having to find just these weird little pathological examples of noise that can get misclassified. Mm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it does. So so fundamentally, the fake cats, the static pictures, which happen to push all the right buttons for the discriminative algorithm. There's just many fewer of them than there are like pictures of things that actually look like cats right. <laughs> that get classified yeah. as cats, yeah. And then in addition to that, they're more susceptible to changes. So if you were to change a little bit of it, then then the uh, discriminative algorithm might not be tricked as easily as if you were to change a picture of a cat a little bit. Uh, the discriminative algorithm would be like, yeah, actually, that's still a cat. I suspect that's right. Yeah. I mean, this is a field that is new enough and still has, you know, a lot of the basic results have been demonstrated, but some mm -hmm. of the side studies haven't been done. So I'm a little bit speculating here as to what might be going on. And I'm I think that the real proof is in the pudding on this one, that when you actually run the generative algorithm, it makes pictures that look like cats and not pictures that look like noise. So to a certain extent, we're also uh, trusting that it works because we can actually look at the pictures that come out of it and they look sensible. The proof is in the pudding. Now now I want to go get pudding. Well, it's lunchtime. We should go get pudding. It's, it's about lunchtime. Awesome. Thank you, Katie. Uh, thank you. And uh, thanks again to Tim. This was a really fun... I think the way that he tweeted this at me was it's like neural nets playing cops and robbers uh, Ooh, cool. which was intriguing to me and uh, lived up to my expectations linear digressions is a creative commons endeavor which means you can share or use it any way you like just tell them we said hi to find out more about this or any other episode of linear digressions go to lineardigressions.com and if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at lineardigressions.com and katie at lineardigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at lindigressions. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.